0: Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. We're continuing through our series. We're going through Acts, Kingdom for All. Our last series was uh, Luke Part 1, which we talked about King for All, which talked about Jesus as our King. Uh, This is actually Luke Part 2. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke also is the author of the book, Acts of the Apostles. So this is a continuation what he's talking about, and this is Kingdom for All. We're working through, as a church, the entire New Testament. You can go online to pinewood.church, and you can see our reading plan. And this is really cool. We've never done this before as a church, but we're corporately reading through the New Testament, through a reading plan. And the passages that you read in your personal quiet time this past week. I'm actually going to be preaching on those passages every week. And we're also studying those passages in crew. So it's kind of a neat way for all of us to corporately hold each other accountable to our personal Bible reading time and the study of God's Word. So let's dive into Acts chapter 6 and 7. We're going to be studying two chapters today because it actually encompasses one whole story But first, before we dive into the passage, I want to ask you a question. What in your life do you most value? Think about the breadth and depth of your life, the details, the relationships. What is most valuable to you? How many of you would say it's maybe your dog that's at home right now, if you're being honest? Come on. Fluffy, okay, there we go. Char, come on, we love Char. Shout out to Char. What is most valuable to you? Another way to think about that question is to consider, what are you living for? Because you know, what you value guides the decisions that you make. It guides the where you spend your energy, how you spend your money. So maybe the better question is, is what are you living for? I want to give you some just practical things that maybe you're living for that I see a lot of people live for. I see a lot of people live for their health. So their money goes towards their gym memberships, their online plans. They spend an amazing amount of money on their diet plans. And that is, that is their driving force. So what do they value? What are they living for? A healthier you, a healthier life. Maybe you value your career. I see that a lot here as well. A lot of entrepreneurs in Boulder, a lot of hardworking people. you got to work hard to live here. Come on, that'll preach, Andy. So maybe it is, you know, an advancement in your career. Maybe you value or you're living for the the next innovative idea, the next thing that you create, your next opportunity to... uh, Cut the guy that, or the gal that is above you off so that you can take their place and their position. Come on. Y'all wouldn't do that, though. Y'all are good, good Christians. Y'all wouldn't do that. Y'all would earn it the right way. I think this is an important question to consider, as, especially as we're looking at the life of Stephen. I believe that in all of life, that there is a cause and that there is an effect. There's a cause and an effect. For example, if you don't brush your teeth, what happens? You don't have friends, okay? No, <laughs> like you just, nobody wants to be around somebody that has really bad breath. You were thinking cavities, <laughs> you yeah. Yeah, yeah, my kids, yeah, that is a, for sure a direct result. I don't know why as a parent, nobody was just like, hey, you should really like brush your kid's teeth. We didn't find out until all of our kids were over five years old that we were supposed to be brushing their teeth for the first like five years of their life. We were always like, here's a toothbrush, here's the toothpaste, do the best you can. That really kicked us in the butt. There was a cause and there was an effect. When you speed or when you run a red light, you get a ticket. There's a cause, there's an effect. Whenever there's a special day that comes up for a significant other, I don't know, Valentine's Day, anniversary or a birthday, and you forget. Any, um, anybody that's ever been in a relationship ever forgot a very important day before? Okay. Really, that few of you, huh? You're that good. You're that good. I don't believe it. Well, there's a cause, and there is an effect. A couple anniversaries ago, I blew it. 100% blew it. It's, it's, it's literally like I just forgot. Uh, there, it was a busy time, a lot of crazy things going on. And it came up to the day before, and I literally had to sit my wife down and just say, here's the deal. I got nothing. I, got, I, I can't even make something up at this point. I got no plan. I got no gift. I love you. And how many of you know that When your wife's love language is gifts, (laughs) anything, a handwritten card would have really brought it home, but I didn't even have that. And this last anniversary, I promised her, I said, hey, look, I made this mistake once, I won't make it again, so I really tried to bring it home this last time. But there was a cause and there was an effect, and we see this true in the life of Stephen, There was a cause in his life, and it resulted in an effect. Title of today's message is Cause and Conviction. Cause and Conviction. And before we dive in to the message, I want to define a few terms for us. First is cause. What is a cause? You maybe heard the saying, is there not a cause? I don't know why you would say it that way. Maybe it's you're going into war. Is there not a cause? A cause is a principle, an aim, or movement because of a deep commitment. One is prepared to defend or advocate for their cause. So what is your cause? It's a deep commitment. Next is conviction. You may have heard of conviction before. It's most often doubled as the word standard as well. What's the standard of your life? What's the conviction of your life? And that is a strong persuasion or belief and is the state of being convinced, fully convinced. I like to look at a a biblical conviction maybe a little more than I would just a earthly standard. Because I think an earthly standard is something that you're striving to live for. But I think a biblical conviction, something that you hold core to who you are in your heart, in your spirit, is something that you would not only be willing to live for, but you'd be willing to die for. So, the question is, do you have a cause that you're striving to live for? Do you have a cause that you would be willing to die for? Do you have convictions that you're striving to live for? Do you have convictions you would be willing to die for? To die for, man, this, got, this just got real. The cause that I want to talk to you today about is the cause of the kingdom of God. The book of Acts is bookended with this idea of the kingdom of God. The king has come. He came to rule and reign. He died, and he was raised from the dead, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning over all of the earth. Jesus is king. This isn't just a Kanye album title. He really is king of kings, and he really is Lord of Lords. Jesus is king. So now, with Jesus as king, he rules over his kingdom. So, the cause that I want to talk to you today about is the cause of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's creation. God's reign through God's people over God's creation. The kingdom of God is the vision of the world reordered around the love of Jesus. I also heard a a friend of mine say one time, the kingdom of God is the reign. No, the kingdom of God is what Boulder would look like, or put whatever city you live in that you're watching from, the kingdom of God is what Boulder would look like if Jesus had his way. It's God's reign through God's people, over God's creation. The big idea throughout the message is going to be the cause of the kingdom of God in your life should produce convictions through your attitude and actions. The cause of the kingdom of God in your life should produce convictions through your attitude and your actions. Is your cause worth dying for? Is your convictions worth living for? Let's pray. Father... I thank you for the truth found in your word. God, I pray that for those that would say you are Lord, your king of their life, Father, I pray that they would leave here with more convictions in their life, stronger convictions, maybe just renewed convictions in their life. Uh, Father, I pray for those that are maybe here that don't have a personal relationship with you. I pray that they would leave with a cause, a, a greater purpose, something of eternal significance in their life, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's start in the book of Acts chapter 6, and let's look at the first seven verses of Acts. I want to talk to you about four convictions that we see in the life of Stephen. I love Stephen. I love this story so much. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Let's read this together. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows... We're being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So the, fast forward to verse 7. <clears throat> so the word of God spread, and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. These first seven verses here in this, this section in the book of Acts is often looked back to whenever a church is looking at ordaining a deacon or establishing deacons in their church, Because Stephen is the first deacon. What is a deacon? There are two offices in a church. There's deacon and there's elders. Elders are overseers of the church. Deacons are servant leaders in the church that help lead serving initiatives. So this is Stephen in this passage. He is being nominated. It would be like me asking you guys, who should we nominate as a deacon to oversee this Date night, this love boulder date night. Somebody would say, I know someone, Julian. Yeah, right. Julian is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he goes and he serves in the date night. And so the word of God spread. Yeah. Come on, Come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on that's, that's what it's like. They're saying, no, the, the, let's let the pastors, let's let the apostles dedicate themselves to the preaching and the teaching of the word towards prayer, which is right for them to do so that they can empower, not just delegate, but empower servant leaders to fulfill the calling of serving the community. You see, Stephen had a was convicted to submit. Sorry, the first conviction, if you're taking notes, the first conviction is convicted to submit. He submitted to the apostles. He submitted to the call in his life to be a servant leader. You think, well, I don't submit to anybody. I'm the CEO of wherever I go. I I would encourage you to take on a new posture, a posture of servanthood, a posture of submission, submission to authority, submission to God's authority, submission to those that are called to shepherd and to lead over you. Stephen was called to serve. Not only to serve, but he took the most amazing job. He took deacon of the lunchroom, Talk about an amazing position. Now, Stephen was a man that had a great reputation, full of faithful to the Holy Spirit. You must be thinking, a man of such great stature, couldn't he have had a better position than deacon of the lunchroom? And this is is the kingdom of God at work that I want you to see very, very, very clearly. Because the kingdom of God turns everything back on its head. The greatest shall be the least of these. So in other words, if you want to be the greatest here at Pinewood, join the parking team, amen? Negative zero degrees out there in the snow, (laughs) shoveling the snow for people so that they can get in. Out there waving at strangers while they flip them off, as they know. Happy Sunday! Screw you! God bless you. No, I mean, seriously though, the parking team, I mean... You want to be the greatest? Join the Rangers. Pinewood kids. I mean, they're, personally, I think they're, you know, amazing. They're the greatest. But so often, whenever you look for an opportunity to serve, I'm not saying you, I'm saying so often when people look for opportunities to serve, it's like, what opportunity can I have the greatest platform? Can I have a cool title? Or do I get a badge? Or whatever the case may be. (laughs) We don't actually give badges here, but you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> You're like, well, I, I, don't know. I don't know that serving in the parking team really is within my giftings. You know, I've taken the spiritual giftings test, and I just, that's not really in my giftings. Stephen's position was given a high level of honor. And in his submission, and his willingness to be the deacon of the lunchroom, He was elevated. And not only his life, but his death resulted in a catalytic event that sparked a global move of God. So you may be saying, well, I I, I am multi-talented. Like, I mean, my gifts are microphone on the stage. I would encourage and I would just say, maybe in this season, your gift is parking lot waving at people to take the lowest position and let God elevate you. If serving is beneath you, leadership is, is beyond you. Say it again. I want to lead. No, you, you need to serve. Yeah. I want to be a great missionary. Then what are you doing to meet the needs of those around you? I want to preach. Maybe start in a parking lot. A title does not elevate your status or influence. It simply affirms your calling and your willingness to serve faithfully. Be careful not to let your ability or your charisma take you to a place where your character can't keep you. What you're going to find about Stephen was he was a radical preacher, much more gifted than anyone in this room. So well versed in Scripture, such such courage and bold declaration. He could have he could have been a global preacher, but he submitted to the apostles when they said, "We need somebody in the lunchroom," and he said, "I'll take it. That's me." Stephen was of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Wouldn't you love for that to be said of you? What? Do people say of you? If I were to bring you up on stage and say, hey, talk amongst yourselves, let's talk about your name. And people were to talk amongst themselves, what would they say about you? What's your reputation? What are you known for? Is it full of the Holy Spirit? Is it full of wisdom? Is it a servant? Is it humility? Titus 2, 6 through 8. Wonderful passage. Titus 2, 6 through 8. It says, "...in the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us." Does the message that you are preaching, is the gospel that you are sharing, carrying the weight that it can carry, because it also is true of your personal life? Or are these two separate things? God's grace is good. It can change your life. But I kind of still do whatever I want to do. But it can change you but I still kind of do what I want to do. What's the gap? What's the gap in what you know and what you teach versus how you live in your everyday life? Where's the gap? You notice in the passage, it said, with, what's the word? Integrity. Everybody say, with integrity. With integrity. So what is that saying? Is he talking about your everyday life in public? Or is he talking about your everyday life in private? So God is good all the time. He can change your life. But in your private life, you do what you want. Oftentimes, what that looks like, unfortunately, with a lot of believers, is we put on this this veneer of hypocrisy where we're all of a sudden the Pharisee, the religious one, a.k.a. the critic of everything in the church. But in our personal lives, we live a completely different life. Imagine the hypocrisy. Will you ever have gospel influence that way? A reputation may be built for a season on what's on the outside, but without integrity, it will eventually be found out, and the result will be devastating. But you see, Stephen was a man of integrity. He was convicted to submit. Number two, he was convicted to seek. Acts 6, verses 8 through 10. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, and some members of the freedom's freedmen's, definitely not freedom, freedmen's syn- synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from the Sicilia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the Spirit by whom he was speaking. Notice that first part of verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, full of grace and power. That word, full of, it actually means controlled by. So he was controlled by the Holy Spirit, controlled by grace. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, Acts 6, 3 and 10, full of faith, Acts 6, 5, and in full of power, Acts 6, verse 8. He was this, he was full of, he was controlled by. How many of you know that whatever you're filling up with right now is controlling you? What content you inhale will be the content you exhale. Yeah. What content you see will be how you live your life. I don't, I don't know what led me to the point where I wanted to cheat on my, life, my wife or my husband. Well, maybe it was the daily consumption of pornography that you poured into your mind and into your spirit for year after year after year that led toward this action on the outside. Whatever you are full of, you will be controlled by. What are you controlled by? What are you full of? Could it be said of you that you are full of the Holy Spirit? Could it be said of you that you are full of the power of the Holy Spirit? that you are full of wisdom? Would it be said of you that you're full of wisdom? This idea of being controlled by is also this idea of if, if, if I'm so full of the Holy Spirit, then if the Holy Spirit were to leave me, I would no longer know how to operate. God, I, where do you, whoa, Holy Spirit, I can't hear you on this one. What do you want me to do? A pastor friend of mine challenged me one time with that, and he said, I want to be so filled up by the Holy Spirit that if the Holy Spirit were to leave my body, I would fall on the ground, unable to move. And it was just a physical visual for me to be like, whoo, that is not me right now. Do I seek the Holy Spirit in my everyday life? I try. I'm not anywhere near where I should be. So we have the, the deacon of the lunchroom being a evangelist and miracle worker in the lunchroom. This would be like us walking through the line at Chipotle and they're packing your burrito. Is there anything I can pray for you today about? Have you met Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He can change your life. You're like, oh, you're sick today? Lean over. I know you're not supposed to lean over. Lean over. Boom, be healed in Jesus' name. Deacon of the lunchroom is evangelizing, and they're seeing signs and wonders. People were getting healed, and the word of God spread. There were signs and wonders in the food distribution line. In your everyday life, like, well, I'll see a miracle on Sunday. That's not what the scripture teaches. No, you see a miracle because the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit fills you. He wants to do something through you. It's God's reign through God's people over God's creation. The kingdom of God wants to be lived out through your life so that you can perform signs and miracles where you work, where you ski, where you where you play, at the coffee shop. Have you ever been with somebody where miracles follow them wherever they go? How do they do it? They're filled with the Spirit, they're controlled by the Spirit. They don't isolate the spirit to minutes or days or their their closet. It goes where they go. You don't need a title to perform the supernatural. Stephen had no title. You don't need a microphone to multiply your impact. But in Jesus' name, he empowers you to perform miracles wherever you go. We see in verse 10 that deep conviction is very convicting. Deep conviction is very convicting. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. I can imagine Stephen as a a man of God of great conviction, delivering a message that the Holy Spirit so filled him that even even these people that, that knew the word could not even stand up against him. There's something powerful when someone stands up for their convictions against all opposition. And to be honest, my job as the pastor of Pinewood Church is to stand for my convictions, to stand for the truths found in God's Word, and to preach and teach the whole counsel of God's Word. And if I do my job correctly and I preach what God's word says, then it is my hope and it is my prayer that I offend you. You're like, what? Yes, I want you to like me. But I care more about what God thinks of me than what you do. I want to be true to his word. And therefore, I want to preach his word. I want to stand on my convictions need to be rooted in his word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, and effective and is sharper than any double edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and the spirit, joint and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, in other words, when God's word is preached and when God's word is taught, it should pierce down to the core of who you are. And we already know that the way is offensive. I could stand up here and just say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I already know I offended someone in the room. But this is exactly the call that he had on his life, was to preach a convicting word from the word. There's great power when the convictions that you preach also align with the convictions that you live Offense through God's word, delivered in grace and truth, will result in intense opposition and offense. And this leads us to chapter 6, verse 11. When Stephen is falsely accused, it says this, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, secretly persuaded, mind you, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. So they came, seized him, took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses. Secretly persuaded. They stirred up the people, and then they presented false witnesses. And they said, This man never stops speaking against the holy place and the law. For we heard him say that the Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw his face was like the face of the Of an angel. I can just imagine the Sanhedrin are in a full on rage at Stephen. So much so that they would be willing to lie, go against their own religious tradition, and present false witnesses against him. This is not a display of seeking truth or a reliance on God. They were full on enraged with their own self-interest. Are these things true, the high priest asked. Brothers and fathers, he replied, listen. He, w- he was presented with an opportunity here. As a man of deep conviction, he could say, guys, y'all are taking me way out of context. Okay? (laughs) Everybody chill. All right. Look, a bird. (laughs) (laughs) Squirrel. Squirrel. (laughs) Because he knew what was coming. If he stays true to these convictions on his life, he knew this is not going to end well for him. But those that live with true convictions on their lives don't sit down or shy away or divert when confronted with whether or not to speak truth. Those that have core and deep biblical convictions, they stand up for truth and say, brothers, sisters, listen. Why? Because I can't help but share what I'm already fully convinced of. This is why we see all through the last 2,000 years, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people lay down their lives for the gospel because they were willing to stand up for the conviction that they believed in. But unfortunately right now, not only are we willing to stand up for what we believe in in the face of a bullet, but we won't stand up for what we believe in in the face of critics in the face of being light, Stephen knew what he was up against, and he said, brothers and fathers, listen. And he gave an incredible sermon on the redemptive history of God the Father. Powerful message. I encourage you to go back and read it. He didn't shrink back in fear, but he stood firm in faith. Stephen was put on trial by the Sanhedrin. But those that have deep convictions are, are never really put on the defense. Stephen put them on the defense and Stephen went on the offense with a message of truth. Stephen knew the word. If you go back and read through that text, you're going to see a really profound sermon on the redemptive history. Uh, the sermon outline went a little like this, is that the Sanhedrin resisted their own law. Then they persecuted and kill the prophets, and then they went as far as to reject and kill their own Lord and Savior. Let's just say Stephen didn't pull any punches when referring to what they were guilty of. But Stephen, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, called up their hypocrisy, their lawlessness, and their arrogance. How and why? Because he knew the Word. He was grounded in the Word, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. With that being true, how well do you know the Word? If you were brought on trial today over your convictions, over whether or not Jesus was really the truth, the way, the life, would you have scripture? Would you be full of the Holy Spirit? Or would you say, ha ha, uh, phone a friend, uh, Pastor, Pastor Parker, uh, what's that verse again? Or do you know the word? Are you grounded in the word? full of the Spirit. Stephen was a humble servant, and he was a faithful messenger before he was a forgiving martyr. I would be willing to die for him. Sit down. You're not living for him today. Stephen was a humble servant, a faithful messenger before he was a forgiving martyr. If you're unfaithful to serve, what makes you think that you would be faithful to sacrifice your own life? Sacrifice to serve, final passage. Acts 7, verse 54 through 60 says this. When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of... I love that. Here it is again. Controlled by the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Jesus, Stephen, Stephen gave it all. He was convicted to sacrifice. he was convicted to the very end. He was faithful to the very end. Look what he did. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, did what? Gazed into heaven. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, in his most oppressive hour. What did he do? He looked up. What do you do? What do you do in your most oppressive hour? Maybe, maybe there aren't stones getting thrown at you, but maybe there are lies of the enemy that are getting thrown at you. What do you do in your most desperate point of need? Do you look up? Do you look out? Somebody help. I'm, I'm in trouble. Somebody help. Do you look in? Man, I'm in a rough spot. I've done it before and I can do it again. I'm gonna get myself out. That's what I tend to do. If I'm in my weakest, darkest hour, I'll tend to look in. I don't need anybody to help me get out. I got it. I've been here before. So I'll try to better myself. I'll look at my habits. I'll look at my rhythms. I'll look at what I'm, you know, who I'm hanging around. I'll look at where I'm, what content I'm taking in. And and I'll try to make myself better. But the reality is, am I really making myself better? am I really putting a Band-Aid on something else going on? You see, because no matter how hard I try to better myself or pull myself out of the situation, I'm really trying to fill something that is insufficient. A better rhythm for me is good, it's insufficient. Better content is good, it's just insufficient. But Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. In Jesus Christ." And through His grace, His grace is sufficient for all of our needs. We see, I lift in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes towards the mountain where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lift your eyes above your problems. Lift your eyes above your friends, above your families. Lift your eyes to the heaven, the one that can truly, truly help, truly comfort you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. Guess who wrote that? Paul, who was the accuser As Stephen, in his weakest and darkest hour, the first martyr of the faith is crying out to God, looking up, gazing into heaven. I will boast all the more in my weakness because Christ's power resides in me. All around, people are gnashing their teeth. They're covering their ears. They're throwing stones. But what is Stephen? It's a face like an angel. He's gazing into heaven, and he sees Jesus standing there. In moments of chaos, moments of weakness, in the middle of a pandemic, what does your face look like? Oh, everybody, shut up! Or is there this, is this, this peace about you, the Holy Spirit, that's in you, that, that gives you hope and peace? We find something very interesting in this text that we don't see anywhere else. We see Jesus stand up. This is the only instance where Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifice time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. We see Jesus sitting. Why? Because the work is finished. We don't see Jesus standing. And there are there are three potential reasons why Jesus would have stood for Stephen in this instance. The first is that maybe Stephen was on trial. Imagine you in, in trial and you're coming into the courtroom and you have the prosecutor over there, and then you're over here with the defense attorney and You've already pleaded your case, and the prosecutor stands up, and he begins to speak in detail of your heinous acts. And he's laying, he's throwing it all out there. He's laying it down. The prosecutor, aka the accuser, is letting you have it. Would you look at them over there? They're guilty as charged. And you're over there, you're like, okay. Well, at least I got my defense attorney that's gonna plead my case. And then the prosecutor sits down, and you're sitting there, and you pause, and you don't really hear anything. And you start to look around. And you're like, where's my defense attorney? And nobody's there. Nobody is there to stand up in your defense. Then imagine, for just a second, the judge on the pedestal stands up. He comes down. And he stands beside you. Your new defense attorney is the residing judge. And he says, not guilty. Welcome oh, home. Some also believe that he was giving Stephen a standing ovation. Stephen, you live faithful. Also could have been that Jesus was standing because it was his coronation ceremony. The Bible talks about five different crowns that you can earn, five different crowns that you can receive, I'm sorry, receive in heaven. And in a coronation ceremony, someone would kneel down, and a crown would be placed on their head. And as Stephen is being stoned, and he's on his knees in his weakest hour, maybe maybe jesus in his coronation hour he stands and he says stephen i got a crown it's the crown of life well done my good and faithful servant there are two words in the new testament for crown the first is diadema and this crown is a crown that you can inherit Then there is Stephanos, which is the crown that comes only when you earn it. Stephen's name actually means crown. Revelations 2.10 says this, Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. As he's on his knees, Jesus stands. You were faithful. Here's your crown, my son. How many of you want to live a life where at the end of your life, whether you're on a deathbed, maybe you're not on your knees, but when you're on your deathbed and you enter heaven's gates, that you see Jesus stand up, give you a crown? How many of you know that if anything, if Jesus gives me, I'm giving it back? Thank you for this crown, Jesus, but no, this is yours. You're not just worthy of my worship. You're worthy of the reward. It's all yours. But I want to live my life, that at the end of my life, I can be known as not only that I sacrificed it all, but that I faithfully served and gave all that I had while I still had time. That is how Stephen was marked. He was marked as a life of sacrifice, not a moment of sacrifice. Stephen's life was marked by a lifetime of sacrifice, submission, servanthood, not a moment of sacrifice. I would die for him, then live for him today. I would give him everything, then give him of your tithes and your money. If the cause is worthy to die for, then surely it's worthy enough to live for. When what you live for and what you die for come together, that's where you find your true purpose. For me, that falls under two categories, the people that I love and a cause of eternal magnitude. John 15, 13. Greater love is no one than this, than he who would lay down his life for a friend. And I love Jesus. I love my family. I love my friends. A cause of eternal magnitude. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's not live life for the urgent, but important. The length of our life does not determine the impact of our legacy. Let's pursue kingdom. And let's live with conviction. Let's Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example that you gave us. You gave us this word. You gave us this example in Stephen so that we could have a greater understanding, not only of what it means to give our all on the line in the face of incredible opposition and persecution, but you gave us a story that we could examine today to truly see how we could potentially live. And you gave us a story of someone who lived with deep conviction. Father, I I want that to be true of every single person in this room. Father, we we, we are not coming together today to play church, to show up, to make everybody feel good that that we're here. And no, that's that's not what we want, Jesus. We want to be the church. We want to be a body of believers that are truly seeking your kingdom. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Boulder as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. Father, you reign. You're the king of this kingdom. So Father, we submit to you. We serve you. We worship you. You're holy, holy, holy Father. We love you. We give it all to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.